Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined by Henry Washington. Henry, how are you, man? What's up, bud? Good to be here. Yeah, we haven't done one of these together in quite a while. I know. I missed you. I know. Me too. We always have all those other weirdos here. It's finally just you and me again. <laughs> how uh, How's business these days? Business is booming, man. It's crazy. We've got tons of deals happening all at the same time. I can't keep up with them all. And I guess those are all good problems to have. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, hopefully you learned something during the interview we had today. I saw you paying extra close attention to this one. For everyone listening, we have Darren Bloomquist on who comes from auction.com and has some really unique information, advice, tips, specific markets to look at all having to do with foreclosures and distressed properties. So if you are the kind of investor who wants to flip properties or even do a sort of burr, any sort of value add, this is going to be a very good episode for you. Henry, what did you learn from this conversation with Darren? Well, first of all, I learned that investors are, are getting some competition uh, at the at the bidding tables here for these. That was crazy for these yeah. deals, right? That's nuts. I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but you should you should uh, listen all the way through. But you've got some competition investors out there for buying some of these distressed properties. I obviously loved hearing about the markets where the best discounts are at. So if you want to, if you really try to understand what are some of these good markets to get good discounts, then uh, make sure you listen through. But it's also just a lot of great market knowledge. And when you guys compare some of the state and local laws and how they compare to what's going on on a larger scale. And if you are thinking about, hey, I want to do a burr or a fix and flip this year but I'm not quite sure where the market is going. Well, this is going to give you a great place to understand how to go find and buy those. And then where you, where the market is headed based on people who stare at this data in the face every day. <laughs> Absolutely. We went out and we got Darren to join us today because I think one of the interesting things about the way the market is working right now is on one hand, things are kind of back to crazy levels where there's bidding wars and everything. But as you'll learn in this episode, the distressed property side of things is very different right now. And that, to me, is where the opportunity is. And so I think if you're struggling, like you're looking on Zillow or in the MLS and thinking, wow, things are really competitive, everything's going over asking again, this is going to provide you with some really good information that might be able to help you find the kinds of deals that you're looking for. And if you appreciate the fact that we go out and find these excellent guests for you and bring wonderful panelists like Henry in to give you some context and ask great questions, 
please give us a good review. We always appreciate it, either on Apple or Spotify. We work very hard on the show, and if you like what we're producing here, we really appreciate you giving us a solid review. With that, we're going to take a quick break and then bring on Darren Bloomquist from Auction.com. Darren Bloomquist, welcome to On The Market. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So you were a guest on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Show, but in case our audience didn't listen to that, can you just introduce yourself, please, and tell us a little bit about what you do at auction.com? Sure. My name is Darren Bloomquist. I'm vice president of market economics at auction.com, which is actually a really fun job. I get to look at the market uh, trends. And also, we have a lot of data, and, and we'll probably get to that later, but a lot of data internally in auction.com that I get to look at to interpret what's going on in the market and what our buyers and sellers are saying about the market. I mean, we we really have an amazing platform to look in real time what's happening, to get real-time data about what's happening in terms of buying and selling properties on our platform. So, I get to interpret that and spread that message out for both our buyers, who probably are more going to be the listeners to this this podcast, um, people who are real estate investors buying properties on auction.com and other places, of course, too. And then also our sellers, who are the banks who are um, selling the properties, uh, who are foreclosing on the properties. Can you just give us a highlight of what the big trends you're seeing in your work are right now? Well, what we're seeing is a really big rebound in, I would say, the biggest biggest kind of trend I'm seeing in our data, and we also see it in bigger macroeconomic data, is that the housing market is extremely resilient. And our buyers, there's been a, a rebound in demand from our buyers very strongly in the, in, the, in the first half of 2023. In the second half of 2022, we saw a big pullback. Our buyers said, oh, this market is scary. Um, we're going to pull back a little bit. They were still buying, of course, but they were buying much more conservatively. Their buy box had sh uh, shrunk uh, in terms of where they were buying and what types of price ranges they were buying in. But when we look at our metrics now, which are things like the, the what we call the sales rate, the percentage of properties brought to auction that sell, and then also the price execution, which is the winning bid on average to the estimated value after repair value of the property, those numbers have bounced back very strongly in the first half of this year, which is an indication to us that our buyers are are very confident, uh, have regained confidence in the housing market. And so to me, that's that's one of the best barometers of what's going to be coming in the second half of 2023 as well is, is that buyer confidence because they're going to be sell they're buying these properties, they're distressed properties, they're going to be renovating them and then reselling them back into the market in about six months. So Within six months. And so to the extent that they are accurate at predicting what's going to be the market that they're going to be selling into into six months, uh, which they typically are pretty good at that, then we're going to see a pretty strong housing market for the for the remainder of 2023. It's not to say that prices, you know, we can get into the whole home price conversation. They're still being fairly conservative uh, in terms of their pricing. But uh, that bounce back in demand is probably the biggest trend that, that we've seen this year and speaks to the resiliency of the housing market. Yeah, I have to say I agree as being one of those people who is buying distressed properties and, and renovating them. We have, been, we have bought more properties this year to flip than we've bought, gosh, like as, as a reference, 
I was doing about 10 to 15 flips a year. I've got 12 going on at the same time right now. And so it's, it's uh, very, very bullish on the market. And it seems like anytime we list something, it is flying off the shelves as long as it's done right. And, uh, and so everything I'm seeing kind of, kind of echoes the data that you're seeing. So it's cool to kind of see some of the numbers behind it. it makes me think I'm not crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're seeing it pretty widespread uh, across the country. Now it is during the pandemic, uh, during 2021, things got a little crazy. And I, I would say even dangerously crazy buyers were typically on our platform. We sell, pro we properties are selling for about uh 20%, 20 to 25% below the estimated as is value of the home not the after repair value of the home. So just to, I'm sure your your viewers or your listeners will probably understand that, but do do want to make that distinction. So that's kind of the baseline is that 20 to 25% discount below as is value of the home. During the height of the pandemic housing frenzy, we the average bid was uh not just 9% below that as is value. So our buyers were not building in a very big cushion. Now it's back to that 20 to 25% cushion, discount cushion, but they're buying a lot more. So kind of to your point, Henry, is we're seeing more buying activity, but still more conservative on the, the the purchase price, the acquisition price than they were during the height of the pandemic. And to credit where credit is due, I guess, um, our sellers, the the banks are are listening to the market. They realize that the the mortgage rate spike last year affected the market and affected buyers. And so they have also adjusted their pricing, not as quickly as we would have liked or our buyers would have liked, but <laughs> they have adjusted pricing lower. And so the average, you know, that what we call the credit bid, which is the minimum amount that they'll accept to sell the property or reservation price, you can call it as well. That has come down as well. So that is helping to spur this resurgence in purchase activity. And yeah, I talked to a lot of buyers individually to kind of understand the color behind the data. So buyers like like you, Henry, and they're saying the same thing as they have they've ramped up. They're they use the word bullish <laughs> as you did. Some sometimes they say cautiously bullish, but they're definitely bullish. And especially on the the type of price range that we typically have on our platform, which the after repair value on these homes is around that two hundred and fifty thousand to three hundred thousand dollar range. Um the the average purchase price, I'm just looking at the data here. What is it? Uh hundred and $193,000 as of a uh, April of this year or May of this year, sorry. But then they're turning around selling them for two hundred fifty dollars to, to $300,000. In that price range, they're very bullish. They can sell those homes all day long, basically. Yeah, there's multiple exits with that price range because even if they can't sell for what they want, they can stick a tenant in it and at least break even. It's a less risky strategy. Um, are you seeing... Uh, more inventory on your side, meaning are you seeing more foreclosures? And do you, is there is there more opportunities out there now? Is that what's driving this? You know, that's that's the rub. It, there's really not a huge rise in inventory. It's kind of gradually increasing. We saw, I'm sure you guys were probably aware of the foreclosure moratorium in 20, the second half of 2020. And then throughout 2021, basically through the end of 2021, we had this foreclosure moratorium it didn't stop every single foreclosure, but it stopped the vast majority of foreclosures uh, on government-backed loans, F basically FHA, FHFA, which is uh, Fannie Mae and, and Freddie Mac. Starting in January of 2022, we've seen this gradual rise in foreclosure inventory, but its emphasis is on the gradual. And so we're at now on our platform, which accounts for about half of all foreclosures nationwide, we're at 
just shy of 50% of 2019 levels. So we're still, we've come back, but we're still 50% below where we were in 2019, which 2019 was not a huge year for foreclosures. It was just kind of a normal, healthy housing market type of year. And so that's what we're seeing nationwide now. In some states, we are seeing the numbers, the inventory come back more quickly. Places like uh, Indiana actually sticks out, uh, is at 124% of, of 2019 levels. So they have actually exceeded 2019 levels. Oklahoma is at 155%. And that's a, this is as of the first quarter. Actually, Colorado is surprises people uh, at 97% of pre-pandemic levels. Uh, now, what I would say about Colorado is their numbers were extremely low. Foreclosure numbers were extremely low um, in 2019. So getting back to 2019 levels is not necessarily a huge um, milestone. But if you look at a map of the United States, we see the the foreclosure volume is coming back. It seems to be more in the Rust Belt uh, coming back, but not uh, the Rust Belt through the Midwest, not so much in the Northeast. So taking out Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey, but places like Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, we're seeing foreclosure inventory coming back, getting approaching or exceeding 2019 levels. Whereas in parts of the Northeast, as I mentioned, and then the Southeast, actually Florida is still at 26% of 2019 levels. So there's there's actually a pretty big variance across the country, and we can we can get into that more if you'd like. I am curious about that, Darren. But first, I, I wanted to know. Like, do you have a sense of what a normal level of foreclosures is on a national level? Because when you look at the historical chart for the last 20 years, it doesn't seem like there's ever been a time where it's just been flat. You know, it's like just been like up and down, up and down. So like, do you guys think about that? Like what we could expect it to or what it should look like? Absolutely. Um, that's a great question, I think. And we we spend actually, <laughs> I spend it personally quite a lot, a lot of time thinking about that. You know, it feels like foreclosures are either rising or falling. They're not just really kind of just humming along flat. But we use, I mean, I would say 2019 is a good benchmark um, for no, what you would consider potentially normal levels of foreclosure activity. You had about 200,000 properties foreclosed on nationwide, 200 to 205,000 in 2019. And so that is, it's a, it's not a huge number, you know, given that there's 5 million homes that sell approximately a year. So it's a small slice of the overall market for sure. Now to put that kind of in perspective or in context in 20, 2009, which was the peak of the the great uh, financial crisis type of uh, foreclosure event, we saw over a million. 2009, 2010, we saw over a million properties foreclosed on those two years. And then there was this gradual downslope from there fr from 2009 through 2019. And 2019 was the lowest in a decade. So that's where I'd put it is at 200,000 mark. And to also put it in context, in 2022, we're at about 85,000. And that's not just our platform. That's looking at public record data. 85,000 total? Yeah. Wow. But in <laughs> in 20, uh, 2021, we were at about 60, 60 to 65,000. So we are kind of gradually coming back up, but the numbers are still even low relative to what I'd expect to be see as kind of normal levels of foreclosure activity. Do you see this recent increase as just the beginning of a trend 
Or do you think this is sort of a return to normal in a way? We were artificially low probably for a while. And now, you know, things are probably going to level out. I see it more of the latter is that that we're returning to normal and some of the so-called backlog, what you might call backlog or deferred distress that was held back by the moratorium is slowly being released into the market. And so we are we are starting to see that. And we actually had a, a, a summit just a couple of weeks ago with our sellers. So the banks, the mortgage servicers, and we surveyed them. We asked them, what do you think is going to happen? And the vast majority of them, about 80% of them are saying that they are expecting to see foreclosure activity increase slightly in 2023. There were about 20% who said they were expecting a substantial increase in their foreclosure activity in 2023. But the, most of them were saying uh, just kind of this continued gradual increase in foreclosures back to normal. Now, I would say that there is the seeds of another maybe bigger foreclosure wave were planted during the pandemic because of all the uh, stimulus that we saw and the what I would call, you know, I would call it overinflated home prices uh, because of that stimulus that occurred. And so for people who bought around 2021, especially 2022, early 2022, there is a risk. Those those folks are at higher risk for um, foreclosure going forward because they bu- basically bought at the top of the market. The other risk that we have that the seeds that were planted are the ultra low interest rates that were that occurred during the pandemic and now are a thing of the past. And because of that, the folks who do get into trouble, who maybe lose their job or have other some some other kind of life event that triggers default, those folks are going to have a little bit harder time getting out of default because of those higher interest rates. You know, they're, they're, they maybe have a 3% interest rate for the servicers in the toolbox for loss, what, what they call loss mitigation to avoid foreclosure is refinancing or a loan modification. But for these folks who have that 3% interest rate, a refinance or a loan modification is going to put them into a 6% uh, mortgage rate that actually makes their payment go up rather than down. And so it's on two fronts. It's the folks who bought on top of the market who may be actually underwater now because home prices have been coming down in many markets. And then also the folks who get into trouble who don't have as many options to avoid foreclosure. And that would be more of an event that we might see materialize in in 2024 or 25. For those people who don't follow this as closely as you do, why do you think, or can you just tell us why you don't think there's going to be a big increase in foreclosures? Like what is different about the market now than it was in 2009? One of the main differences is the quality of, of loans that are out there. They're active in the market mortgages. Uh, credit quality is much better. Uh, there were, We don't have the so-called um, ninja loans, no income, no job. <laughs> we have a... Uh, Another co-host who used to be a loan officer who talks about this quite a lot, the ninja ninja loans. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's other, you know, names out there for them. And, you know, to, you know, if you could fog a mirror, you could get a loan type of uh, loans. You just don't in this housing boom, which was a kind of a slow motion housing boom over the last 10, well, 2012 to 2019, where, the housing market was doing well and growing and prices were going up during that entire time. You never really saw that uh, extremely risky lending materialize. Uh, the riskiest loan product that we have out there right now is FHA loans, properties, which are the low down payment. And you do tend to have 
lower credit scores and higher debt to income ratios on those loans. And so I would actually consider the FHA fairly risky and fairly at risk going forward. But that's one, you didn't see the prevalent use of higher risk loans. FHA is about uh, 15 to 20% of the market right now and in leading into the, the pandemic. So that's one big thing. I think the other big thing not to be underestimated is the political will to not have another foreclosure crisis. <laughs> um, and, and you saw that during the pandemic, the kind of bipartisan effort to roll out programs that would allow people to, at least in the short term, avoid foreclosure. And so I do think that is that's actually a big factor. Um, that if we were to see some kind of other trigger, some other crisis that could trigger uh, foreclosures, you would see a lot of political will and policy pushed toward avoiding some kind of massive wave of foreclosures. So those are a couple things that I would put. Uh, the third one, actually, as I'm talking through this, is kind of the fundamental supply demand landscape that we're in. And you'll probably see, hear a lot of economists talk about this, but the fact that also during this slow motion housing boom that we've had over the last 10 years leading into the pandemic, you saw fewer homes being built than household formation. There was probably a deficit, you know, it depends on who you talk to, but there was a deficit of potentially several million housing units being built relative to the number of households that were being formed. And so because of that low supply environment, you don't have the potential for on top of um, demand weakening, you don't have, which we definitely have seen demand weaken. There's no question about that uh, demand from buyers weakened, especially over the last year. But you don't have layered on top of that an overhang of supply that's coming into the market at the same time. And so that combination is also helping to prevent us thinking that there will be a, a huge uptick in foreclosures, at least in the short term. So one question I have that I'm sure a lot of uh, newer investors have as well is where or what parts of the country are you seeing the deepest discounted <laughs> properties? Henry's just writing down very, well, where yeah. can we go to get a good deal? I actually should, I should have had this ready, but- Or take your time. I'll just give my pen and paper ready. Actually, if you go to um, auction.com forward slash in the news, we have a lot of uh, data on that and even like heat maps, that sort of thing that show you where, where some of the bigger discounts are. But as a level set, you know, I think what I was uh, mentioning before is the nationwide, you know, what I put at the discount is 20%, about tw as of, of uh, May of this year, 21% below as is value. That's going to be more like 40, 30, 40% below after repair value, uh, maybe a little bit more. So that's the, um, that's your level set there. And then let me just give me one second here. Henry's looking for zip codes. He's looking for specific addresses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can just send some direct leads right over to me. However, you have to do this. If you've got names and phone numbers, <laughs> even even better. Darren's like, I like my job. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, you can go on and you can find that pretty. We try to be transparent on the platform of of where you can you know where you can get those discounts, but you know one one key piece is this isn't so much of us as a specific geography as a type of geography is the rural geographies are where you're going to find the deeper discounts, at least on our platform. And we do have a lot of buyers who actually specifically focus on rural areas in any part of the country, because that's a lot of times where you can find those, those deeper discounts. So I actually was talking to a buyer recently who is focusing in on Peoria, Illinois, because that's where 
they've just found a lot of properties at discounted price. And so that's one piece of it. And then generally speaking, in the, actually, it, it does coincide with where we're seeing some of the supply come back. The Rust Belt areas of the country is where you're going to tend to see some deeper discounts. And, and part of that has to do with the age and the condition of the properties uh, that you're, you're going to find in there. Places like Dayton, Ohio, other parts of Ohio, we do tend to see some really good discounts. I'm just looking here and pulling up my my list of of where we're seeing some of the biggest discounts. Yeah, Bloomington, Illinois comes up. So that's not quite Peoria, but as the highest, the biggest discount below after repair value. And this is as of the first quarter of 2023. Is that one O or two? <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Bloomquist, it's uh, two O's. It's Bloomington. Um, actually, Manhattan, but not Manhattan, New York, Manhattan, Kansas, oh, yeah. uh, little, the Little Apple. I actually grew up in Kansas, so somewhat familiar with that where uh, Kansas State University is is uh, located. Johnson City, Tennessee. So these, you know, these are not obviously huge markets. Asheville, actually, North Carolina, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. Oh, that's a great market. Uh, because, yeah, that's that tends to be a very hot market as, as far as I know. And then you have, when you get into a little bit bigger markets, Detroit, and so all of these, all the ones that I mentioned so far, the average discount below that as is value is actually uh, 40% or more. Nationwide, we're talking about that 21% discount. These markets, all you have a discount of, of 40% plus below as is value. And again, that may have some to do with the older properties that you would find in these markets and the condition of those properties. But yeah, Detroit's in there. Davenport, again, that's in the Quad Cities area of Illinois. So I could keep going. Peoria is in there, but it's at about a 30% discount. I don't want to give too much away, but... Well, I'm curious, Henry, I'm, I was curious for you, like, is that 40% discount what you're looking for? Like, what, what gets you out the door? Yep. So typically, you know, the general rule of thumb is a 30% discount, and then you subtract your repairs from that. So That'll sometimes put you right around 40%. So that's a solid percentage. So, and that's off of ARV, right? So that's, yeah, that's exactly where I'm looking to be. And I'm talking, you know, I keep on making the distinction, but this is off of as is value. The value, the discount's going to be bigger off of after repair value. Um, but the as is value is what the bank tells us they think the property is worth, even in its current condition. Now, there's limitations to that because there's usually no interior inspection of the property. So that's a huge limitation. So yeah, there's there's tons of opportunity for folks out there. There's a lot of risk with buying a foreclosure, especially on the courthouse steps. I don't know if you've ever done that, Henry, but- I've tried. I've tried and failed. I went to the courthouse auction. I've been, I've been probably four or five times and I had my number that I wouldn't go over and it's gone over every single time. Well, you got to be disciplined. Good for you. Yeah, that is good for you. And I was just talking to a buyer in- kind of the northwest suburbs of Atlanta, pretty far out. You'd almost consider it rural areas of Atlanta there or outside of Atlanta. Um, and he said he's seen this, re- you know, what I was talking about in the data, this resurgence in demand that we're seeing in the data, he's seeing it on the courthouse steps. He's bought quite a few in the courthouse steps. And he said, there's bidders coming back now in 2023 that I've never seen before. And he's been doing this for 25 years. And so people are coming out of the woodwork. And so it's it's competitive bidding, which is good for our sellers, but maybe not always as good for on the buyer side of things. Because if you're staying disciplined as Henry is, you may end up getting outbid uh, by someone else. Uh, one of the interesting things I was going to mention is that we're actually seeing an increase in owner-occupant buyers, uh, which is kind of crazy. And I think it's a testament 
to the type of market we're in with this low supply. If you go on the MLS, there's so, at least in many markets, there's such low inventory. And we, to be honest, you know, auction.com has tried to make it as easy as possible for anybody to buy at the foreclosure auction. But there are still a lot of obstacles. You have to buy with cash. You have to come to that auction in most states with an envelope full of cashier's checks to buy at that auction. And yet we're still seeing, we did a buyer survey recently and 15% of our buyers said they were owner-occupant buyers, which is up from 8% a year ago. So about a doubling of the percentage of folks who are identifying themselves as owner-occupant buyers. I thought that was really interesting. And those owner-occupant buyers are inherently probably going to be a little bit more willing to bid a little bit higher than maybe an investor on a on a property. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. That's definitely not the type of person you ever, you ever hear. Uh, Darren, I did want to ask you about some of these regional differences because one thing you said was sort of about the political will to avoid foreclosures. Are there big variances in local and state protections or incentives that either people who are interested in buying or selling these types of properties should know about? Yes, there are. And I think it's becoming actually increasingly important because states are starting to think about even passing laws that make it tougher, unfortunately, for investors to buy at foreclosure auction, which we are, you know, we're to the extent that these these laws make some sense, we are, you know, trying to find common ground. But some of these legislators just have no idea how the foreclosure process works. And so they're trying to pass legislation that just doesn't make sense and actually is going to backfire. And so that's something to be aware of. I, not probably not surprising California is on the forefront of some of this legislation. There there was actually a law passed in California a couple of years ago that it's called a an outbid period. So after the foreclosure auction occurs, so the let's say you're an investor like Henry, you go to the auction, you're the highest bidder. There's a 45-day period after the end of the auction where a nonprofit or owner-occupant buyer, speaking of owner-occupant buyers, can come back in and bid $1 over what your highest bid was at the auction as an investor, and they can outbid you. Uh, they have four, a 45-day window. I like that. You like that? Yeah, absolutely. They should get first crack. Yeah. So, And actually, yeah, we saw, I mean, there were some other laws in California that were proposed that were were actually could be very could have been very harmful not only to the market but I think to even the the previous distressed homeowners of the property that did not get passed but that one was actually somewhat reasonable it did have some loopholes the first year that that passed we saw nonprofits coming in who were just basically nonprofits in name only who were buying properties and taking advantage of that and California has since closed that loophole, which is a good thing. The vast majority of those properties that we're seeing getting outbid are owner, actually owner-occupants rather than nonprofits now. So that's actually a good thing, I think, uh, as Henry said. But it's something, it's an additional risk if you are buying at the foreclosure auction in California. You, you just have to realize that your money's going to be tied up for 45 days before you want to start rehab on that property. Because if someone outbids you during that 45-day period, you're no longer going to own that property. So that's one thing to be aware of, a bit a important law that's passed. Uh, New Jersey has been pretty aggressive on trying to pass some laws, but there was a there was some legislation last year that got vetoed by the governor that has not passed. And so right now it's kind of those those that type of legislation legislation is kind of just emerging. It hasn't fully shown up yet, except for in California is the one place we've seen 
um, some concrete legislation passed that could I- affect investors. But it's something to be aware of and to to check on before you go to to bid at foreclosure auction. And then the other, I, I think the other thing is um, to to look at is eviction practices or regulations around eviction. Um, in some areas, it's harder to to evict than others. Now, most of our buyers, to be honest, don't end up evicting. I mean, Henry, I mean, I would love to get your perspective on this, but when they're buying occupied properties, which about half the properties on our platform end up being occupied, they do have to deal with the current occupant, uh, which is another reason it surprises me that owner occupant, more owner occupants are buying on our platform. But anyway, you have to deal with that current occupant. Eviction is is a last resort for most of our buyers. Most of them can offer what we call a graceful exit to these homeowners. You offer them relocation costs, even lease back to them, which is not an uncommon practice for our buyers, lease back the property to the current occupant. But it is important to have that stick of eviction to go along with those carrots of, of relocation costs. And so if you're in a market like, say, Cook County, Illinois is notorious for this, it's going to take, you know, potentially 18 months, 12 to 18 months to evict somebody if you have to go to that point. That's going to tie again tie up your money for a longer period of time before you can actually uh, start rehab on that property. So that that's another important kind of local jurisdictional type of thing that you want it to to be looking out for as an investor when you're buying these properties. Where there's an obstacle, there's always opportunity. I and mean, we have buyers in Cook County Illinois, who know how to navigate that eviction process and can bake it into their numbers. And so when they're buying a property, they're baking in that 12 to 18 months that it might take. So it's possible. It's just something to to factor into your your numbers as you're figuring out what you're going to buy and how much you're going to bid. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what we do. So if I, if I know I'm buying something that has a tenant in place, I am planning to have a longer holding period um, it's also dependent on what that lease is. Cause in, in, in my state, I have to honor whatever lease is in place. So if there is a lease in place, at least I'll know how long that is going to last for. And if there's not, then here we only have to give a, well, we only have to give like a, a five, a four day notice, but we give them, we technically have to give them a 30 day notice. And, and we do all of the things that you've mentioned. We've moved people, paid for people to move. We've paid people, We've let people stay. I've, I, matter of fact, I just took, I bought a house a year ago that I planned to flip and the tenants that were in the house loved it so much and they took care of it. I didn't have the heart to put them out. And so we just made it a rental for a year until they've now finally they've moved. And so now we're going to flip it. So we've, we've done all those. It's, it's absolutely something you need to take into consideration. And that's probably not something owner occupant bidders are considering or thinking about because that's a that's a different game. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of political push to get more owner occupants into these foreclosure properties because of the housing shortage, <laughs> you know, the the uh, the shortage of affordable housing. So it's kind of understandable, but we are, you know, we are trying to make sure that folks like at the FHA for instance and others understand that there is risk that comes with buying these properties and owner occupants we want to make sure we're not getting an owner-occupant buyer in over their head and into a situation where it's they're actually just going to end up losing the property themselves. But that's really interesting. I mean, most of our buyers, Henry, are like you when we survey them. They don't want to go to the eviction route. That is not good <laughs> for them. So they're doing they're doing the relocation costs, moving people, lease back, even buy back for the current tenant in some cases. Well, 
Darren, thank you so much for this information. Is there anything else you think our audience should know about the research you're doing in the housing market? Oh man, there's, you know, there's, there's tons more. We can stay. We'll hang out. <laughs> We're trying to let you leave, but if you want to keep going, we'll, yeah. we'll keep listening. I did, I did just, you know, we haven't really talked about the macro market so much. And it just really, I, I think this is pretty brief, but even though we're not expecting a huge surge in, in foreclosures, I mean, the consensus is, and baked into our forecasts for what we're expecting over the next couple of years, is a, number one, a recession, a mild recession, or what some economists might call a slow session. I've heard it called by the, mm-hmm. the Moody's economists recently. That's what we're expecting over the next 12 months. And we're also expecting home prices to continue. We don't think the worst of the home price declines are over, even though the market is kind of um, rebounding right now, we are expecting that we're going to continue to see some uh, over the next 12 to 18 months, uh, some, some decreasing home prices in more markets. And so that's something to be, to be aware of. Do you think it's going to get made worse or just, you know, continue on this sort of what I would call more of a correction than a crash? I think more of a correction than a crash is, is the, is what we're going to see. Um, more of the slow moving, maybe flattening slightly down home prices in a lot of markets, uh, more of a stagnating type of thing. And so that's, you know, I think even though I started out with this kind of positive note of our buyers are very bullish about the market, I think this, what I'm saying doesn't negate being bullish about the market, especially if you're buying in the distressed space where you're not as dependent on home price appreciation for your profits. You're more dependent on buying at a discount and adding value to the property through renovation. I just wanted to couch within that positivity, the, the, the realism of at least what we're expecting to see in the market um, is not going to be this booming market. It's, it's, it's going to be a little bit more of the slow, maybe slightly downward type of market over the next year or two. How do you, well, now I need to ask a follow-up to that. How do you, (laughs) how do you square that? Because like right now we're hearing so much about how competitive the market is. And we, I just hear that from everywhere and the data bears that out. So how do you see that coexisting with a continued correction? Yeah, I think what we're seeing is, is a little bit more of a a short term response to you you had the shock from the the interest rate the mortgage rate rise last year now now buyers and sellers are adjusting to that a little bit and getting a little bit more confident and so you're seeing this little this little window of positivity and confidence in the market i don't think that necessarily goes away but i think there is some reality that that eventually more sellers are going to need to um they've been able to hold out and not list their properties for sale but you are going to see at some point the sellers are going to start putting more inventory on the market okay and having to realize that maybe the price expectations that they had for the property are not realistic given the mortgage rate environment and and it's all kind of the foundational piece of this is that I don't expect mortgage rates to go down they're going to remain fairly ele- elevated for the next year or so, because the Fed needs to continue to fight the possibility of inflation. Assert its dominance. <laughs> yeah, yeah <exactly>. that's right. <laughs> so that environment is going to lead to eventually more supply as sellers who have held out you know, for a while, realizing they do need to sell. I think this has colored a little bit about what we're seeing on our marketplace and I alluded to earlier, that we are seeing sellers, our sellers, capitulate on price. But they, they these are institutional sellers who are less emotionally tied to these properties. And so they do tend to be a little bit more willing to capitulate faster 
and respond to the market faster. But I do think eventually you'll see retail sellers responding to the market as well. And that will kind of rebalance things and keep us from seeing this this trend that we've been seeing recently developing into another big boom in the in the housing market. All right, great. Well, Darren, thank you so much. If people want to follow your work, where should they learn more about you? Best place is probably auction.com forward slash in the news, but also check me out on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm trying to post as much as I can in terms of charts and graphs and what we're seeing on the market there. And of course, check out just auction.com in general if you just want to search around for opportunities in your market, in your zip code. So yeah. All right, great. Well, Darren, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. And a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies.